It seemed like a good idea at the time. Three days in ultimate seclusion. The flakes that started to fall on your way were hardly worth notice. But now the polar vortex is locked over Canada and, as the drifts creep up to the windows, you feel foolish being miles and miles from any neighbor or route plowed by a road commission. The generator ran out of gas yesterday. But there's plenty of lamp oil and wood for the stove. Surprisingly, your call for help was met with something like joy. An acquaintance has a snowmobile with enough gas for a one-way trip. They're bringing people, food, supplies, beverages, and, if they heard your plea as the last milliamp slipped from your phone, games. That's right, soon you'll be gamers stuck in Snowmageddon. Gamers Stuck in Snowmageddon is a discussion with Northwest Michigan residents about life, the pursuit of happiness, and the four tabletop games they'd like to get stuck with in a fictitious snowpocalypse. I'm your host, Jim Maratsky, and today we're joined by Jessica Parent. Jess, welcome to Snowmageddon. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to have you here. So, uh, first question is, how difficult was it for you to choose these games, and uh, what criteria did you use? So it was very difficult to narrow it down to four games, and I wasn't even able to accomplish that effectively. Um, it helped me, though, to break it down into categories like types of games, so um, something more long-term, something like light and fun, um, and something a little bit more story-driven. That's great. So uh, is this scenario something that would apply to you? Would you ever find yourself out in the middle of nowhere in a snowstorm? Well, I live in the middle of nowhere, so yes, it's very applicable for my life. And I have a shelf full of games, just in case. That's super. Okay, well, uh, let's just dive right in here. Your first game uh, is a card game that was developed to take some of the uh, buying a win aspect out of games like Magic the Gathering. It first came out in 2018, and Fantasy Flight Games claims that every deck that you buy is unique. It was designed by a legend in his own time, Richard Garfield, and this is Keyforge. Why do you hope Keyforge comes along to Snowmageddon? So I love Keyforge. Some would say that I am a little bit addicted to Keyforge. Um, I love that every deck is unique, and the artwork in the decks is also really beautiful. But it's also just a simple, um, fun game that you can play with pretty much anybody. Um, it's most of the time pretty quick. And every game is unique because every deck is unique. So you never really play the same game twice. Is it relatively easy to learn or does it take a while to get used to it? It is relatively easy to learn. It's a pretty simple deck building game. Um, very similar to games like Magic. Uh, so if you're familiar with that at all, it usually is pretty easy to pick up. So what does it feel like to play Keyforge? What, what's going through your mind as you play a game? So the general idea of Keyforge is that you are um, battling opponents to get amber in order to forge keys to win the game. Um, usually I focus a lot more on different ways to get amber than just um, attacking my opponent, but that's definitely a component of the game as well. Um, so it's a lot of just you know trying to use the cards that you pick up in your hand um, in the most effective way that you can in order to get amber and then forge your keys. What's the difference in the mechanics between this and like Magic the Gathering? Um, so funny enough, I've never actually played Magic the Gathering, so I don't really know. Um, this is really my first deck building game that I've really been this involved in. So people say it's similar to Magic, but I've never played it. Okay. So what, what drew you to games in the first place and where, where were you when that happened? 
So I started playing games um, back in 2015 when I moved back to the area. Um, and it was more, when I first got into it, it was more of a social you know, way to meet new people and explore new things, um, get away from some of the hobbies that are, you know, bar hopping and that kind of stuff, do something a little bit more um, productive and still fun. So you said you came back to Traverse City. Uh, where did you go and, and why did you come back? Uh, so I grew up in northern Michigan. I'm a native here, but I went away for several years for school. Um, so I was down in Kalamazoo getting my master's degree, and then I came back in 2015. Um, my family is still here, so I moved back up to be closer to them. Um, but also, I just love the area. I love being in Traverse City, being surrounded by water. It's super important to me. Um, okay, so let's let's go on to your second game, which is a giant game that has been amazingly popular since it came out in 2017. It was designed by Isaac Childress and published by Cephala Fair Games, and this is Gloomhaven. What a perfect game to take to Snowmageddon. <laughs> right. Um, Gloomhaven is a good choice because you could probably play that for way more than two weeks and not get sick of it. Um, it is a super long campaign game, and there's so many different adventures and lots of components to it, so it would definitely keep your attention for a long period of time. Could you just help me? I haven't played it, so tell me a little bit about the mechanics like what it how does it how does it work so it's actually kind of similar to dungeons and dragons in that you are uh you play a character that has different traits and abilities as the rest of the people on your team it's a cooperative game um and you are choosing different adventures um and usually attacking bad guys and things like that in order to achieve some sort of goal you play cards based on your character's ability, and that determines your turn, but you're pulling cards that have initiative. Um, and so you are working as a team, but you there's still kind of a component of wanting to be faster than your teammates in order to kill the bad guys and get the points that you want at the end of the game. So it's cooperative, but you're kind of competing a little bit, sounds like. I mean, I definitely compete against the people on my team. <laughs> okay. Can you choose the experience that you have with that game, like a long or short game, or can... Can folks come and go, or is it a campaign where you need to make sure you have enough players to come and sit through a dozen games or that kind of thing? Um, it's definitely more campaign style, so it's uh, more of a time commitment than um, just more of a come and go kind of game. Um, but you can play it with just pieces of your team if if you want to. So uh, let's talk about what you're up to these days. You are a medical social worker. Could you give us a like what's a typical day for what you do? Um, well, my days are never the same, um, but yeah, I'm I, sorry. I, <laughs> I should never say typical, but anyway, a generic day. <laughs> so I am a social worker that's housed in a primary care physician's office. So I work with patients that might have some social emotional needs outside of what their primary care provider can offer. And so, um, I do anything from long-term counseling in the doctor's office to helping people find resources in the community that might fit some of their needs. So it's kind of a wide range of services that I provide, but it's definitely very rewarding. Wow. So I'm going to take us on a little bit of a nerdy side trip here, but Perfect. this is a podcast about board games, so I guess I can do that. But <laughs> I, w I once read a fantasy novel when I was younger where the main character was uh, studying thaumaturgy, which is a magic of kind of ener energy transference. They would do things like mend broken bones or, or 
start fires, but uh, the only way they could do that is by transferring or sending stuff from themselves. So basically like to heal a, a broken bone, they would have to transfer that break onto themselves and then they could, they could heal it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess I've always kind of seen mental health workers in a similar sort of way. Is that, uh, is that in, you know, that you have to take in the issues that people are having and then try to deal with them and, and you're left with this baggage afterwards. But is that an ignorant or an apt analogy? I think that's pretty accurate. Yeah, I definitely um, carry a lot of things with my patients that they're struggling with. But I think the biggest part of being a social worker is just being able to sit with someone while they're struggling and be there with them versus taking on that struggle for them. Um, it can make a big difference for people. That's great. How many how many folks do you work with in a typical period of time? Is there like a different folks on a daily basis or how long do you have to spend working in a particular case? So it varies quite a lot. Um, some people, if they need something more resource focused, I might see them only a few times. Um, I have patients that I've been seeing since I started the job um, for almost a year. So it just depends. Um, on a typical week, I might see anywhere between like 30 and 40 patients. Wow. So um, what do you do outside of work and gaming to, to get around that? So I have recently taken up baking, which is um, super fun, a little bit frustrating at times. Um, I'm also big into nature, like I mentioned. So I like to go hiking and I like to play with my dog and, you know, she goes along with the hiking and that kind of stuff as well. What sort of dog do you have? Um, she's a mutt, um, but she is a medium sized kind of terrier type dog and she's a big ball of energy and everyone loves her. Do you go on epic hikes or short hikes or around town or out at the sleeping bear dunes or where do you like to go? Um, we do all of that. Um, she likes the super long hikes and she likes taking naps afterwards. Um, but we also do lots of short hikes, especially in the winter time, um, cause she can't be outside that long. She gets cold. Um, but we also like to walk around town and, and that kind of stuff. So we're all over the place. Great. And with, with baking, what, is there like a, something that you are specializing in or are you just all over the place? What do you like bread or cookies or Tell me a little bit more about what you like to bake. So I am um, currently learning how to make like fancy cakes and cupcakes and that kind of thing. So that's my uh, kind of area of interest right now. But I'm also very hopeful to get into bread soon. Um, I just recently bought a breadstone. I'm super excited about it. (laughs) That's great. Would would you ever consider doing something like a, I don't know if they have a British baker's show around here, but any, is that, is that you just want to bake for, friends and and yourself or is there do you have any other aspirations for doing it for other things i think right now i just like to bake for friends but i would maybe think about a competition or something like that okay well good luck if you do thank you okay your third game was published in 2015 it is designed by ryan lauket and published by red raven games and this is above and below uh, why bring above and below along So I love um, Above and Below and Near and Far and all of those Ryan Lockett games because um, his artwork is just beautiful and all of his games follow a similar theme. Um, 
above and below, particularly because it has a story component to it. So you go on adventures in this world um, and you go on these quests within the adventure. So you might stumble upon a quest where you're chasing a rabbit um, or, you know, something like that. And it's just kind of fun and interesting to be able to do all these little quests that are sort of connected, maybe not really, um, but they just kind of open up this fantasy world. With Ryan Lockett's games, because of his artwork, it, they always feel pretty thematic. Um, you can bring yourself into that world or whatever. Um, is that is theme important to you in a game? Seems like the three so far we've talked about have been pretty thematic. Yeah, definitely. Um, the theme behind the game is super important, and the artwork is also a component that is important to me as well. Um, I'm definitely drawn to games that have, um, you know, beautiful artwork and things that kind of draw in your interest. Um, and yeah, theme and story and things like that are super important. So what, what role do you think tabletop games play in society? Do, do games matter? Is it important for folks? I definitely think so. I think that games are a good, healthy way for people to form strong emotional connections with other people. Um, I think that they are a healthy way for people that might not be so socially apt to be able to connect with other people without having to just jump into the, hey, how are you? What do you do for a living? Um, it gives people an avenue to be able to get comfortable before they dive into that connection with someone else. Um, I also think that games, especially the modern type games, play a big role in cognitive development. Um, and so they're really, really good for kids, um, particularly kids that might be struggling cognitively or socially. Um, but they're also good for preserving your brain over the lifespan. So I think that they hold quite a lot of value in the world that we are in today. That's great. Does, I mean, does getting away from digital stuff help people? Do you think, I mean, we hear about that quite a bit, but I think it does. So I'm just curious to know what you as somebody who's knows a little bit more about how people's brains work, think about that. Yeah, I definitely think, you know, being able to do something intellectually these days without that digital connection is kind of rare. Um, you know, even the books that we read, these days are, you know, you can get ebooks or audiobooks and, and all of that. Um, and so being able to sit down at a with a board game that doesn't have any digital component, but is still building those connections in your brain and, and working those pathways, um, it's super important. It's you know, it's good to put your phone down every once in a while. So you help out at Tabletop Underground. Um, what are you finding well, you know, why do you do that first of all? And and what are you finding out and Tabletop Underground, for folks that don't know, is a, a new business in Traverse City where people can, it's basically a board game cafe uh, that people can go in and play board games for a, a period of time. But wh why, why do you help out at Tabletop Underground and what are you finding out about folks around here by doing that? So I help out at Tabletop Underground on Saturdays. So if anyone ever wants to come see me, I'm there on Saturdays. Um, I help out there because I just think it's a really great idea. Um, you know, we need a space in Traverse City where people can come and explore a healthy hobby. Um, and I think that, you know, having a library of 350, 400 games to choose from and people to teach you how to use them is a really wonderful thing to do. It's something different that people can do on a weekend outside of the norm a little bit. What is teaching games in that role do for you is that uh, something that you had to really practice on to get going or to do or is that a was that easy for you role for you to fill 
So I am still honing my teaching board game skills. Um, I am definitely not nearly up to the level of the owners, Kyle and Ramon, in terms of their game knowledge and their ability to teach a game really effectively. Um, but I do my best, and I'm learning and practicing every day. So, Well, yeah, I've seen you in action there, and you're, you do a great job, so that's great. Um, but what kind of people are coming in there? What What's the typical crowd on a Saturday that, that wants to come to Tabletop Underground? So I've actually been kind of surprised by that. We've had um, kind of a wide range of people come in outside of the Traverse City Board Gamer Group that was already established. So um, on Sundays, we've seen the Traverse City Board Gamers coming in even before Tabletop Underground was open. That's how we formed, you know, this group and this idea came to fruition. Um, but we've seen, you know, people from all walks of life, all ages coming in because they heard about it on social media or in the news um, or even seen our sign on the sidewalk. And so the interest in it has been really surprising in that it's kind of hitting everybody. So what for you is the main ingredient for your favorite experience while gaming? Is it the aesthetics of it or strategy, winning, crushing your opponents or uh, that kind of thing? What, uh, what is it that you like about playing a game? I think for me, it's more about the social component than anything. You know, the group of people that you're sitting around a table with playing makes the difference if that game is going to be enjoyable or not. And so, you know, even if the game isn't, as thematic as maybe I would want it to be, or I'm not necessarily crushing my opponents as much as I would like to be. Um, you know, the fact that I'm sitting at a table with my friends is really all that matters. Have you ever thought about designing a game or is that not of interest to you? It's definitely interesting, but I don't know if it's within my skill set. <laughs> so your last game was published in 2017 by Floodgate Games and designed by Adrian Adamescu and Daryl Andrews who are Canadians, it was interesting to me. This is uh, Sagrada. Why bring Sagrada along? And by the way, this is one of a list of games of this weight that, uh, that Jessica handed to me. So I just picked one because I wanted to hear her talk about this one. So what's about Sagrada? So I handed a list of just kind of lighter, fun games. Um, I think Sagrada is great because... As we've noticed, I think that beauty behind games is really important, and Sagrada is beautiful. It's very colorful. Um, you know, the idea is that you are creating a stained glass window with dice, and you're matching um, numerical restrictions and color restrictions and placement restrictions and things like that. So there is a little bit of challenge behind it, um, and you can change that challenge level however you want to. But it's also, you know, it's a quick game most of the time. It's fun and easy to pick up. Um, you can play it with just two people or, you know, four. It just depends. Um, so, you know, I just like that. It's a little bit thinky, but maybe not too much thinky. Okay. Well, that sounds good. I, I enjoy that. When I when my brain has been burned out by something heavier, it's always fun to land on something like this to uh, to play after that. Okay. So what would you like to see next for tabletop gaming around here or for you personally? But what... Uh, is there trends that you see or things that you'd like to accomplish or things to do at Tabletop Underground that you think would be uh, good for the future? I would definitely like to see games just become more widespread and known um, through communities. I think that that's starting to happen, which is awesome and why we see, you know, people of all ages coming into Tabletop Underground right now. Um, but I think, you know, bringing 
more modern games, more, you know, heavier style games, things like that into schools could be really beneficial for kids. And there are a lot of opportunities, opportunities there to give kids a healthy habit that, you know, maybe they wouldn't have access to otherwise. And so I think, you know, just changing that accessibility to people and making it a more known thing that, you know, games like Sagrada are fun and easy to learn and it's not as intimidating as it seems. That's great. Well, my last formal question for you is uh, a snowmobile on its way to wherever you are had to cross a river on it. As it did cross that river, it hit the far bank and three of the games that you chose bounced out and were washed away. So uh, as you unpack, which one of the four that we've talked about would you hope is still there? Oh, man, I was not prepared for that question. Um, <laughs> which one? I would say probably Keyforge, I guess. If you're making me pick one, it would definitely have to be Keyforge just because I'm assuming that means I get to keep all my decks and I have a lot of them. So it would be that, you know, we could play that over and over and over again and it would never be the same game that we've played, you know. So we could probably subsist on two weeks worth of Keyforge, probably. Okay. Well, we'll uh, I hope that is never a choice that you have to make. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, appreciate you having you know running down the road with that one. Um, so uh, I really appreciate that you spent the time to come in today. And uh, thanks a lot. Jessica Parent for being here and uh, and talking to us about uh, the games that you'd like to take into Snowmageddon. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun. So that's it for this episode of Gamers Stuck in Snowmageddon. Thanks again to Jessica for being a good sport. This podcast was recorded at the studios of Traverse Area Community Media in Traverse City, which are available to everyone. Find out more at tacm.tv. This nice music was provided by Blue Dot Sessions. Website hosting is sponsored by Archipelago Creative LLC, makers of Mackinac Island treasure hunt card and board games at mackinawtreasure.com. Look for more episodes of this podcast at anchor.fm slash gameinsnow. If you have comments about this show or want to suggest or be a guest, email me at gameinsnow at gmail.com. I'm Jim Maratsky. Thanks for listening.